Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 353 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is National Championship Day, January 12, 2015. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. Going to mix it up. We're going to have uh, Dan Weber coming on answering your USC football questions. We've got Bruce Feldman uh, from Fox, college football analyst. He's a great analyst. He's down there in Dallas. We're going to talk to him for quite a bit about uh, USC, about the National Championship game, about the landscape of college football. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, you actually sent a bunch of in from the Peristyle for Bruce. Uh, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Or you can call us at 206-888-6755 or you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave us a voicemail right from your computer. All right, well, we want to welcome in from Dallas, where it's a little chilly down there, I hear. Bruce Feldman, college football analyst for FoxSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Bruce Feldman CFB. That's at Bruce Feldman CFB. Bruce, what's going on? Thanks for coming on the show. It's good to be on with you, Ryan. I, uh, I, miss, I miss Southern California and being at home. So, so you're like a little touch of, of home, and, and that'll have to do for now. <laughs> yeah, if people don't know, Bruce and I are actually friends outside of the college football world. You know, even though... You know, the, the big age difference. He was born in the 60s. I was born in the 70s. We're still good friends. I appreciate that, Bruce. Hey, you know what? I, I, I always thought when Tim, when I got up to Southern California, Tim Tesselon goes, you got to meet my old roommate, Ryan Abraham. He's a good guy. So I was like, okay. It's funny. Uh, Bruce, we always tease about age, and he's like a, a year or two older than me. So it's, it's, it's close. But you, he, you tweeted something on my birthday in December, happy 50th. I've turned 44. And I had people come up to me and say, oh, the big 5-0. Like people actually thought. <laughs> and you didn't even make it public. It was just at. So they had to follow both of us. So that was kind of funny. But what I thought was, was I, what I feel like you probably got is, wow, you look great for 50. So <laughs> I think I was doing you a favor. Oh, thanks, Bruce. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, well, you have a... We wanted to talk about the national championship game. You're down in Dallas, which is going on tonight. We want to talk about USC. A lot of people actually wrote in questions uh, for you, Bruce. And But wanted to talk about your book first, uh, The QB. I, we did a show with you earlier, so if you want to go to peristylepodcast.com, you can look it up. Uh, I think it was a month or two ago we did the show. It was real. It was cool uh, insight on what's going on. You, some USC players and stuff mentioned, but uh, hopefully the book sales have been going pretty well. They have been, you know, so I, I mean, to, for USC fans, I would say uh, if you want, you know, Ricky Towns is obviously coming there. And if you want a really some really interesting insight about him and how his life's kind of changed in the last year, um, go to the book, especially in the, you can find it towards later in the book. I mean, I think you mentioned a couple of times, but there's some stuff from him, his dad, and some guys who coached him, uh, which I thought was really cool. You know, that doesn't mean, you know, he's going to turn out to have a career like Matt Leinard or anything like that, but uh, just in terms of his mindset and where he's at emotionally, I think is in a pretty good place now. And it's much different than it was uh, back in the spring when he was kind of in the, in the teeth of the recruiting process and the evaluation process as far as the recruiting side of things. Uh, yeah, so definitely check it out. on Am- You can do it on Amazon. Uh, I think it's in, 
They still have bookstores now, right, Bruce? They, they, those things still. It exist. is. It is. But the easiest way to do it is just get to go to Amazon.com and search for my name or the QB. I mean, it's easier than going to a bookstore and it's you know there might be two copies left or there might be one copy left or there might be none left. Yeah. And if you live in the South Bay, just you know show up at his door. He'll sign it for you. No problem. You know that's good. No, not, I don't know about that. Okay, part, so we, yeah. we won't recommend that. He's got little twins at home, too. So hopefully the twins are doing well. Uh, they're not there in Dallas with you, unfortunately, in the, the freezing cold down there. It's not been that warm here either. I guess it was warm for a while. Now it started raining here, Bruce. So we got we don't got the greatest weather in Southern California right now either. It's always better than it is every place else in the country, though. So. <laughs> that is true. Um, all right, well, so it is going to be cold down there. Playing in, you know, Jerry World, Oregon. It's kind of like a Rose Bowl, but it's played in Dallas versus Ohio State. Um, before we jump into all the questions, just want to, you know, what's, what's it been down there like this last week, and what are your kind of quick thoughts on the game? You know, just in terms of a vibe, I don't – it doesn't quite feel like, like there's some massive national title game here because, A, Dallas-Fort Worth is really, really spread out. I think what, you know, I've thought about this a little bit just because, you know, you, you, you know, we've been out and seen – you know, a lot of Ohio State fans and some Oregon fans. So it's not like they're not here, but just, and there is some, a lot of, it feels like it's more corporate event than any other of the BCS things did. I mean, it definitely feels like that, but, um, you know, it's not quite the same as let's say if it was in New Orleans where everything was kind of just in your face a little bit. I also think because ESPN's doing the game and ESPN's really, you know, hunkered down in Fort Worth, which is, you know, not Dallas and it's like 45 minutes from Dallas. So, you know, you know, you see all the on-camera shots, they're not around here. So I think that, that kind of has muted some of the energy here a little bit, but as far as the game goes, I don't have a great read on it. Not that, you know, even when I do, it doesn't mean it's right, but I just don't feel that confident. I flip-flop back and forth. Ultimately, I'm going with Oregon. And I just because I feel like I've seen Oregon play these kind of games where the other team plays for a half, may even outplay them, or is more efficient. And then all of a sudden, there'll be like two turnovers, and the game goes from like Oregon being down 17-13 to Oregon being up like 30-17 to or 34-17. to And and the the route is on. It looks like it looks like an Oregon game, and I I could see that. You know, I I just wonder how much Ohio you know Oregon will slow down the Buckeyes run game because I, I was at the Rose Bowl and Oregon played their safety so deep and Dalvin Cook ran all over him, but then he had a couple of turnovers and then it went south. And the way Ezekiel Elliott from Ohio State runs, I could see uh, I could see him doing a lot of damage on the Ducks. It should be interesting, and uh, it's, it's funny you mentioned Dallas so spread out. I guess it'd be like if you had the uh, championship in the Rose Bowl, if everything was in Pasadena, you know, you could be downtown LA. You don't even know what's going on. It's just, it's, it's really not, you could only kind of dominate one area and cities like Dallas and LA are so spread out. You're not going to dominate the whole city. Yeah. I didn't realize Dallas. And I think the part of it that makes it so spread out is the Fort Worth component. You know, and, and look where Jerry Jones stadium is, I think it's probably like one of those situations where it's that far away as the Rose Bowl is. I think with, with L.A., um, you know, the weather's going to be better. I mean, because the weather's been so so cold here, like it is in a lot of parts of the country now, but, I mean, because it's usually you don't play a national championship game in a bad weather place. You know, they're either like Miami, New Orleans, or so weather's a little better than here, typically, or, you know, Scottsdale or L.A. I mean, three of the four are usually really good weather spots, so I think that impacts it, too, but... You know, like all that stuff doesn't really matter. That's just, a, you know, the height of the game. I mean, the game is the game. And, you know, 
I mean, I'm not going to complain about the weather. I mean, it's like I'm I'm excited to see we're going to finally get a game just because it's been so much talk about this playoff for so long. Now we're going to finally find out who's going to be national champs. And the crazy part is there is no SEC here. And yeah. I think that's that's been tough for a lot of people to swallow. I mean, there's zero SEC presence. And, you know, I think it's tough for a lot of people to swallow. And I think it's been really refreshing for a lot of other folks. That's a uh, good segue into our first question for you. Uh, because, you know, under the old system, it likely would have been Alabama versus Florida State, and neither one of those teams are even there, which makes you look back and some of those teams where USC or Oregon was ranked third, would they have, you know, could it have been a different outcome? Would the SEC have dominated for that many years in a row? Um, but Damian Ridley uh, writes, he, he posted on the Peristyle, now that uh, the SEC's top teams will be forced to play against other top teams from the pl- in the playoffs, do you think that the SEC's dominance is going to diminish? Well, I do think it's going to diminish just because, you know, do I think the SEC is still the best league? I do, um, but I don't, I don't think the gap is as big as it was perceived to be. You know, I think a lot of years the SEC had the best team, um, but there was other years, like, I mean, the gap between them, like Oregon could have beat Auburn that year. It was a field goal game. You know, Oklahoma – uh, and Florida was was basically neck and neck. You know, then you add in, you know, the game I, I always wondered about was Colt McCoy gets knocked out running the option early in the game against Alabama. I thought Texas was going to win that game. Um, you know, with a true freshman quarterback who went in, they gave put a scare back into Alabama. You know, even if if two of those three happen, um, you know, that streak isn't the streak, and it's a little more it's a little more muted. I mean. What, what you know? Not to not that you really wanted me to go in this direction, but like the one of the things that I kind of got like sick of hearing a little bit this year was how like this SEC West was the greatest division in the history of college football. That so I think it was the best division. I thought it was the most definitely the most competitive division because there were so many. There wasn't a bad team in it, but when you kind of looked at it, the SEC in 2013 had a bunch of experienced. You know, big game, talented quarterbacks. This year, they didn't. You know, the best quarterback was Dak Prescott, who had a good year, and it was a good year for Mississippi State. After that, it's a big drop off. Yeah, I mean, you know, LSU and A and M have good, talented young quarterbacks. I think Kyle Allen's going to be really good, but they're, you know, really inexperienced. Old Mrs. Bo Wallace is a, you know, is a, at best a, an average quarterback, and that's that's probably being kind. Uh, you looked at what Alabama had. Blake Sims put up some big numbers, especially at home. But whenever they played away or on a neutral site, he was really shaky. And um, so I just looked at it going, you know what? Yeah, I think it's the most competitive league. But all those people were trying to say, yeah, there's going to be three teams from the SEC in the final four. I mean, I think they had drank too much of the Kool-Aid. <laughs> and certainly they did. <laughs> was it? Um, yes, they did. Yes, they did. <laughs> a Texas Trojan uh, posted – there's two questions. I'll, I'll put them together for you. Do you think that the college football playoff will stay at four or expand to eight? And do you think that the playing field will get leveled in terms of schedules with the Pac-12 being the only Power 5 conference to play nine conference games and a conference championship game, which on the surface seems to be a competitive disadvantage with a higher likelihood of losing games? Yeah, I do think eventually, and it may be five years from now, that the playoff will go from four to eight. I think one of the challenges was there was so much talk about how the playoff could ruin or, or diminish the regular season and how great college football's regular season is. It's the most 
you know, compelling in all of sports. All the games matter. I think people, you know, in the game worried about the perception of, wow, you're going to eight, you know, that would, that would, that would, you know, take away something. Well, we realized the regular season was still, was still outstanding. You know, it's not like if you have an eight team playoff, you're going to get an eight and four team. A team could lose four games and still get in. I think one of the things that they're going to have to massage or finesse is if and when they go to eight teams, does that mean that you have to reduce the regular season one game? Does that mean you don't have conference title games? Because I think there's going to be a lot, a lot of uh, apprehension about playing too many games for college football players, how it meshes with the academic schedule. Um, you know, I, I mean, I see it where in the, in the lower division playoff, they play a lot of games. So, but you know, they'll sort that out. They could they could manage this with all the bowl, you know, bowl nonsense or whatever it is. They can they can finesse this. As far as the having balanced schedules, I don't think that's happening. You know, just where you're the SEC, they're going to do what they want to do, and as much as the Pac-12 can protest it, you know, I don't think you can force their hand to have uniform schedules. Just like you can't force them to go, okay, you can't play a. Uh, you know, a division two school. I, I think that, you know, I'd, as much as I'd like to see it, I, I just don't know if that I'd be skeptical of that happening just because there's been so much resistance to it. All right. Uh, let's go. Yan man wants to know, do you think uh, Chip Kelly stays in the NFL long-term now that his ducks are in the championship game? I don't know if he's, if, if he's yeah, buying that or not. By, by long-term, I would say at least for a couple more years. The reason why is because, you know, a few things. One, He's having success there. It's not like he's Steve Spurrier in the NFL. I mean, he's winning a bunch of games. He's got a team where, you know, they, you know, who knows? Maybe they can, they can, you know, get to the Super Bowl in a year or two. So why give up on that at this point? Um, you know, two, he is so much of a football guy. I'm not sure he wanted to deal with some of the little things that you deal with. Um, as a college football coach, you know, whereas in the NFL, it's all football. So I think that would be appealing to him. Um, you know, and then I'm not sure where he would go, you know, next. Would he ever, you know, something happened where Alfred got, you know, like wanted to leave or something like that. You know, I could see him maybe ending up back in Oregon. I couldn't see him at some SEC school. I think we're talking about Florida or whatever. I don't think she'd probably want to do an SEC network in his business. You know, he became a pretty low-key media guy where he, you know, he'll be funny at press conferences, but I don't think he wanted people in his business. I mean, he was one of the more private people when it comes to his personal life. And, you know, he's not all these things about, like, you know, SEC Network, SEC-wide shows. I mean, I don't think he wanted people, you know, like when Lane Kiffin went to Tennessee, he, he really entered a different kind of fishbowl. And all that stuff, coaches and talk, and coaches know. I just don't think, you know. And, and I, I mean, Chip Kelly was buddies with a couple of guys on the Tennessee staff after Kiffin left, and I'm sure he knows what life in the SEC kind of is like. I just don't, I just don't know where he would uh, want to go next. Maybe Baylor. Who knows? Yeah, I can definitely see him putting on a cowboy hat. No, I don't. I don't <laughs> even know if you want to do that and go follow <laughs> Art Riles there. Well, I'd probably getting old. He'd probably retire. Maybe if that's, you know, a couple of years down the road, if that's when Chip got it. It's the only place I could think of. It's, I guess, a little more subdued, I guess. But, yeah, it's not really his lifestyle down there. 
I wouldn't think. And Arbor is only, I mean, he's, an, he's a young 58. I mean, I, I don't know. It's not like he's Fulmer or Mac Brown where he looks like he's, he's, he's older than he is. So. Oh, he's 58. I, I, I thought he was in his sixties. Okay. Oh, my bad. No, uh, no, no, no. Okay. He's a younger guy. I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Bryles, coach Bryles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's move on. Priester said, uh, he wanted to know, ask you about the speed up offenses. Do you think that these offenses, uh, staying on the college football landscape as is, morphing to another faster or slower version, or do you think they'll fade away as defenses are designed to stop them? And I guess part of that would be, do you think the fullback position is a thing of the past in college football? I don't think it is because it's such a changeup. Where hello, Jim Harbaugh is going to come back at Michigan, and he's going to he's going to do that. I think we see Arkansas, Brett Bielema having more and more success. I think that's going to be something where it's that's the change up and you know all this stuff is cyclical to some degree so i think there's still going to be people who do stuff to be a little different i think there's still going to be people who look and go okay that's the nfl game and and we want to want to emulate this so i don't i i don't think it's going to disappear and i don't think the other side's going to going to fade away either and but you think that the speed up the, the, the high tempo stuff's here to stay i do think so because it it, it puts more of the game in the quarterback's hands. It challenges defenses, quarterbacks, or, you know, quarterbacks, not to, not to you know, rehype my book again, but quarterbacks are better prepared now than ever in terms of when they come into college because they've had more training and more coaching. And, and I think the technology is such, and I mean, I got into this in the QB with some of these things like Axon, the, the technology is such where, the quarterback's minds are wired better now to process things faster. And I think they're going to take advantage of that as much as they can. Um, so technology is feeding into a faster game too. All right. Uh, Sean Nelson wrote in, this is kind of an SEC question again. Um, do you think that wins against lower division teams should even be counted as wins for the purpose of making the playoff bracket or bowl games? Perhaps if they weren't counted, the SEC and others would be less likely to schedule them. Uh, you know, they only usually, almost always, only play one of those opponents. So, and sometimes, look, if you play North Dakota State, North Dakota State is probably better than thirty percent of the Power Five teams out there. You know, it's who you're playing in 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 one AA football that usually, you know, if you're are you playing a team that was like three and nine, or are you playing a team that's in the playoff every year? I mean, I think. You know, there's there's some of that. I mean, it, and it is only one game. I mean, you know, like you you schedule a a, a Sun Belt team or a MAC team. I mean, those teams aren't that much better than some of, if at all, than some of these one double A teams. So, I don't think that's going to change. Now, if you play two, they already have rules about like how much it invalidates it for bowl purposes. But you know, I think sometimes. The hardest thing to know is the scheduling um, storylines of what happened, how a team ended up playing, you know, Texas State or how a team ended up playing Sam Houston State or some other school that ended up as one of their opponents because maybe somebody backed out at the last minute, you know. I mean, and it's confusing because people can believe what they want to believe and spin things how they want. I mean, the example I would use is like probably two months ago, um, Texas A&M ended up backing out of a game against Oregon. I mean, it was a story I had reported. And the, they used exercise the clause saying, well, if they're in the, if they change conferences, and this, this happened before, you know, this 
this was agreed upon before A&M left for the SEC, and it said if they changed conferences, they had the right to be able to get out of the game. Well, the reason why they got out of the game is Texas A&M actually had a you know a schedule of other Pac-12 teams, but it had to do with a five for like one year A&M would have five, or one year the Pac-12 would have five uh, conference home games, and the other year would have four. And so it just happened even odd year that their schedules didn't match up. And so when they came back to it, like they they had to move the game and neither team could agree to move the game. So they ended up the game went away. And I think those, you know, now I, I assume A&M is going to take somebody, at least as a power five team, it's so far down the road. It's not like they're going to turn around and go, okay, we can't play Oregon. So we're going to play like Willamette, who's a lower division school in Oregon. I mean, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that's always, you know, we only hear the, the end of it. Like Marshall, who a lot of people thought was going to go undefeated last year. They were supposed to play Louisville. And I think Louisville backed out of that game, you know, but nobody, you know, they just get faulted for that happening as opposed to anything else. Okay. That makes sense. Um, Trojan AZ man. He says, why is this turnaround and now a love fest for Lane Kiffin? Does, do you see the hypocrisy now that he's one of their own in the sec? They love him down there. Yeah, I don't know how much they love him now. Maybe that question was sent in, like, December 31st. Um, <laughs> that was know, recent, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think there was probably some people who were like, hey, why wasn't he giving the ball to 27 when they were playing Ohio State? Why did he get away from that? Was he getting shoot out? You know, I think, look, I think, you know, talking to – I talked to somebody who, who worked for Alabama two days ago who gave Lane Kiffin a lot of credit because he said, I thought this was a four-loss team, what we had. They didn't have an established quarterback – their offensive line was shaky. Now, they did have a great receiver and a couple of really good running backs. No one's going to feel sorry for Alabama. But when he looked at it, he was like, you know what? I didn't think this was this was one of the worst teams Nick Saban's had in, in the last five or six years. So this guy gave Lane Kiffin a lot of credit. Um, you know, ultimately, I think, you know, you know this as, you know, as, as well as anybody, I think Lane Kiffin's you know, biggest undoing uh, at USC was being it was Lane Kiffin trying to be both the head coach and the play caller. And a lot of guys, it's hard for a lot of guys to do. And I think, you know, Lane became Lane's own worst enemy, you know. So I think that's, that's um, you know, look, no one's going to feel sorry for him also because he was, you know, still pretty young when he got the job and he had one really good year, you know, the year they went up at Oregon, but then all of a sudden it was like, it's looking at him going, you know what, this is just not meant to be. I mean, so many things happen. And I think from looking at it, you know, a year after the fact, I mean, Lane Kiffin left USC and there's still quite a bit of drama around there. Wasn't all Lane Kiffin right. doing that. So. No, that's a good point. He, there's, there's still some drama that there wasn't the off season drama, but during the season it became a lot. And, and as far as I know, a lot of people don't really care for Lane Kiffin. Some people don't even like, but a lot of the USC fans don't like the, all the bashing going on. But what I think has been unfair to Lane was that it's it just he's such a polarizing figure that when they Alabama would win and he's a genius, he's the greatest offensive coordinator that ever lived. And when Alabama loses, he's a bum and he's an idiot. I don't know. I mean, there's no middle ground. He was either amazing or just completely awful. And it's always his fault one way or the other, it seems. Yeah, I mean, look, and, and that stuff didn't happen overnight. You know, he was very polarizing at Tennessee. I mean, I felt like he was a, you know, he was a little bit of a lightning rod, even when Pete was there. But nothing, you know, because you and I both know somebody who hated Lane Kiffin from, 
you know, before Lane Kiffin was even with the Raiders. So, I mean, there were people who were, who had some issues with him back then, but, you know, now things have really, you know, he's such, you know, there's, there's no putting the, you know, putting the toothpaste back in that tube. I mean, his, his image is out there. And I think, you know, I think the best thing for Lane Kiffin is to stay at, you know, Alabama for a couple more years, you know, and see, you know, whether Blake Barnett, who's the, incoming freshman, whether he turned out to be guy or not, but, you know, they're going to have a new quarterback next year in 2015. They're losing Amari Cooper. I think they only have two starters coming back on offense next year. Wow. It could be a, it could be a tough season for them. I think at most they would have three starters back. So, you know, it may not be a, it may not be a great year next year for Alabama either. Um, but I think Lane Kiffin, you know, time's on his side. He's still young. I think, you know, he should try to stay there for at least, you know, three seasons. And then, you know, if another job comes open, whether it's like Iowa or, you know, who knows, Maryland or something, you know, I don't see, I don't see, uh, you know, if UCLA it's immoral, I don't see UCLA going, hey, we got to hire Lane Kiffin. I don't think there's going to be a huge demand from elite, elite schools, you know, to say, hey, we're going to bring in Lane Kiffin because you still wonder, you know, is Lane Kiffin going to be the guy who's like, you know, it's, you know, his record itself isn't bad, but it's not like, it's not like he's you're hiring Urban Meyer here, where's the guy who won national championships. Yeah, makes sense. And uh, one kind of last thing, Eric had a question. It's uh, Oregon, kind of Lane Kiffin related. Um, have you heard the rumor before that was floated around for a few years concerning Marcus Mariota originally wanting to play at USC when he was growing up, and did he actually take a trip to USC when Lane Kiffin was still the head coach? Is that true or false? I had not heard that. I mean, it's funny. I mean, I've been around him enough where I could have asked him that. I mean, I'll ask him that tonight after the game. There's anything to it. Um, you know, the the one thing I had always heard was that the only two schools that really offered him besides Oregon was uh, Memphis, who offered him, I think, first, and Washington. And everybody else was kind of, you know, just noncommittal on him. So, and, and look, I mean, we haven't seen him, uh, you know, anybody who, who played like him at USC in a long, long time. I'm not sure how great of a fit that would have been. And I don't know how great of a fit that would have been even, you know, he's an incredibly polite, humble, nice kid. I don't know how much he would have wanted to be in the middle of, of L.A. with all that stuff. Um, all right, makes sense. Yamin yeah, had another question. Uh, he likes the coaching questions and stuff. Do you think Brian Kelly – can have long-term success at Notre Dame with Harbaugh and Urban uh, running highly successful programs in the Midwest. I think he can. I mean, I think he's you know he may you know may may uh, may not be popular with a lot of people, but he's a really good coach. I mean, they didn't have hardly anything uh, left you know by the end of the year, but you know, the start of the season, you lose your best defensive player, you lose like three other key players to an academic scandal. Um, I thought they were able to at least keep it together, you know, and then all of a sudden it started, you know, they started to just kind of fall apart. Um, what he's up against, I mean, they're going to have next year, I think they're going to have like 18 or 19 starters. You're talking about Kavari Russell, who was that, you know, star cornerback who missed the year because of, you know, the cheating scandal. He'll be back. Um, and he's going to help them. And they have all these other guys who will be back. And that, that's, you know, that bodes well for them. You know, we don't know. I, I feel like there's just much uncertainty about Everett Olson and and the or the quarterback situation as there was going in. You know, 
You, we saw, I think we did see some good young receivers emerge from them. One thing Notre Dame has not had in a long, long time, and I'm talking like I feel like I have to go back into the early 90s. It's been so long since Notre Dame has had an elite running back. You know, they've signed five-star guys. I mean, you know the recruiting business. They signed those guys, but they just haven't had any, like, you know, I remember like Reggie Bush was, like, considering Notre Dame at one point. They haven't had anything close to, like, a Reggie Bush or – I don't even feel like they've had like Buck Allen there. Yeah. You know, USC's probably had five five better running backs in the last fifteen years than than uh, anything that that Notre Dame has been able to put out there. Huh. That'll be I will have to go back and take a look and see. That's interesting though. Yeah, I don't remember. No one jumps out to you know Oh yeah, remember that guy used to run real hard for no. <laughs> no, they had they had just guys. I mean they like that. Ricky Waters you know, or whatever, or was that right? That's twenty. That's twenty twenty plus years ago. I mean, they had, you know, I think Julius Jones or it was, you know, was a solid back, and but and they had one guy like Darius Walker was a decent back. But those guys, again, I mean, those guys were were not like Maurice Jones, Drew. They were not like you know a Jamal Charles. And I'm not talking about like you know Heisman candidate guys. They wouldn't even have anybody who'd like even be on the Heisman radar. Yeah as a running back, especially in that kind of system, you would think they would have had that guy. Interesting. All right, we'll see what happens with Notre Dame. They got some momentum, get thumped by USC, but then they beat LSU. So we'll see if they, they can build on that. Um, he had one more question on quarterbacks. Um, do you think that with the, the offenses, the, the evolution of the offenses at all levels, that traditional strong-arm, non-mobile packet, pocket passers are going to be a dying breed? And do you think SC can win a national title with one of those kind of quarterbacks like Kessler or Max Brown or Ricky Town? I think they can if the talent around them is good enough. I mean, you know, I don't think there's anything, any quality that, like, is completely, if he can't move, and Peyton Manning doesn't move very well, you know, and he has Tom Brady doesn't move very well. But if you're really smart, you have a good arm, you anticipate well, and then you're going to need help. I mean, you know, I think one of the things that I feel like has hurt USC in the last five years is – I thought their offensive line has been really subpar. You know, now I know it's young. You've been young for a while, and I know that that's the area where I think scholarship, you know, sanctions hurt it the most. But they've just not been very good up front. And, you know, I think that, that hurts a quarterback as much as anything. You know, when you look at Cody Kepsler's numbers, um, I think they're – I don't want to say they were totally inflated just because there was a lot of – you know, big numbers against the bad teams, and when they played the pretty good teams, he wasn't great. But I think that's a function of when you don't, you know, have when you're going up against good personnel on defense, and that's what that's when it gets when it gets really hard. So, but if I was USC, I'd be excited, USC fan, because you got all these really good young receivers, and instead of having like two two of the best in the country, now you have, you know, you may have five that could play anywhere as opposed to having two, and then you're almost down to like a bunch of walk-ons and guys who like. You know, I felt like every other season there was a guy who interned in the SID office by the play. <laughs> that, did, that happened a little bit more often than you'd want for a high-caliber team, I would think. <laughs> yes, no question about it. Especially for one that passes. It's not like, it's not like you know, you're at a service academy or, right. you know, like USC tries to throw the ball. You can't have, like, a guy who's interning for Paul Goldberg, you know, you know trying, to, trying to stretch the field. That usually doesn't work well. Bruce representing the USC SID office pretty well in this podcast. A couple of guys mentioned by name, not bad. Um, SWR22, who's the next great college quarterback we have not heard of? 
uh, I don't know, great is a big word, but I would say there's a guy out there now who I really like, and that's Jacoby Brissett from NC State. He was terrific in the bowl game. He was a guy who, if Florida went with him instead of Jeff Driscoll, well, most Jeff's probably still there. Wow. Um, he's a big guy. He's really tough to bring out of the pocket. He's got, you know, really good pocket presence. I could see Jacoby Brissett being a good NFL quarterback after you know, he has one more year at NC State. I would say keep an eye on him. Um, from, you know, I feel like I should be looking at the, the guys who are out of that Elite 11 crop. Uh, you know, in the last two years, I think Deshaun Watson at Clemson, who had a really nice year while he was, while he was, uh, you know, banged up a little bit at times too. I think he's going to have a great career at Clemson. I think Kyle Allen at Texas A&M should have a really good career. And then the guys, the two guys I'm most curious to see how they do are the freshmen coming in now. And one was Blake Barnett, who's headed to Alabama. I think eventually he will prove to be the class of, of what Alabama's got in their, in their quarterback room. And then, Josh Rosen at, at UCLA just because physically he's got, you know, terrific ability. He's a sharp kid. It's just how well is he going to fit in there? Um, you know, they, they need a quarterback. They really do. I don't think Asante Woolard's going to be def- the guy. I mean, he's got some good physical ability, but I mean, I think it's set up for Josh Rosen to be the guy who takes over for Hunley. And, you know, our, our old friend Yogi Roth, I remember him telling me for the, for the QB book, he was like, when I see film of Josh Rosen, when I watch him throw the ball, this is what I imagine Troy Aikman looked like in high school. You know, I mean, he's got, he's got some terrific ability. He makes, you know, he makes the hard stuff look really, really easy. Yeah. Definitely talented kid. There's some, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll find out how his, his, he could have great success there. We'll see. I think USC fans are just happy that uh, Brett Hundley is no longer there. So we'll see if they can uh, choose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, speaking of, uh, Zona Trojan fan wants to know what your thoughts are for the upcoming season for USC and who do you think is going to win the Pac-12 uh, next year? You know, we were t- uh, my, me and my colleague Steve Mandel were talking about, you know, the preseason or uh, the early season top 25, and you'll see a bunch of them come out. You know, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, even though before the underclassmen deadline. And I looked at, you know, his early top two. Like, what do you think? I was like, I think you should have USC in here. Um, you know, I look and I, I, even though I don't think, you know, I don't think Cody Kessler is going to be like, you know, first round pick kind of guy. I think Cody Kessler is a really solid college quarterback because I think he's a, from my memory and of being around USC a little bit. Uh, 2013 when all the crazy stuff happened I remember talking to Ogeron a lot and how what a good leader Cody Kessler was and I think that's only going to get better I I thought Buck Allen was a really underrated running back I think they're going to miss him but you know and Aguilar's really good but they have so many receivers the offensive line should be better because it's going to be more experienced I think Sue Cravens is an all-american um you know I don't know who turns out you know who emerges as like the difference maker on the D-line now I don't know. Is there a guy in that front in that front who you say you know changes game plans? I'm not sure if there's anybody like that. I don't know. Um, you know, when I look at the big the the Pac-12, I see that you know Oregon's going to lose Mariota, and they don't have anything behind them right now. And that offense is so it may be quarterback friendly, but I think it's going to be a big drop off there. Even though they do have a lot of you know, good young skill guys. Um, you know, I, I think Oregon's probably the team to beat just because of everything they had around Mariota in 2014 for next year. 
I think ultimately, I think it's going to come down to uh, USC and Arizona, the two Arizona schools, because both Arizona, especially U of A, I mean, their best players are freshmen and sophomores. So if I had to pick, I would say probably between USC and and Arizona and uh, coming out of the coming out of the South. Oh, cool, good stuff there, um, Brody Boy Three. You mentioned you've been some good segues into these questions, Bruce. Uh, you mentioned Coach Edge Orgeron. He said, you know him very well. Wondering if you have any insights as to what he's going to be doing next year, USC, LSU, et cetera. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't see him coming back to USC. Uh, my guess is if something could – if they can if they can have room for him at LSU, I think he, he would end up at LSU. You know, I know he wants to coach now. Um, one place I would have thought he might have had a chance to end up at would have been Nebraska. And I think he would have helped Mike Riley out a ton, you know, as a recruiter going in there, he'd fire, you know, I'm not saying he would, he would uh, be the kind of yin and yang to Mike Riley, but I do think he would have helped a lot. I know he, I know he spoke at Nebraska, but I think that was more of a Pelini thing uh, in the off season. Uh, but I, but that didn't happen. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think of where, where he fits. You know, like you look at some of the openings, the only opening that I thought, you know, that I thought the only two openings that came up that I thought he might have had a shot at would have been UNLV, which was a kind of a screwy situation because they didn't have money and, and the, main, the biggest booster was going to give a ton of money, but he wanted his high school coach in there. And so, you know, I know he wasn't going to go somewhere that he couldn't pay assistance or couldn't have, you know, couldn't do much with it. And the other one was Colorado State which I thought did make some sense, but they opted to go in a different direction. I don't even know if he really, it was, that was just a weird search. Yeah. They, they, you know, I mean, the idea that they, that, you know, one of the guys I think they brought in to interview was John Baxter, which I was like, wow, they, they looked at John Baxter before they looked at Ogeron. They, you know, actually has a big reputation as a recruiter and had a lot of had some success at USC as a head coach. So, so we'll see. I mean, if I had to guess anywhere, I'd say, you know, it was, it almost feels like it's LSU or bust at this point. Yeah. Colorado state did win the, uh, this, the, as far as buyout wars or whatever, like they, they did the best job of that. Right. <laughs> yeah. They did get some money out of the deal, which is good. I mean, uh, you know, one of the guys who used to work at CSU told me this is the first head coach who's ever left there on his own. Everybody else has either retired or, or been, fired this is the first guy who's ever left there so wow. you know it worked out for them we'll see how it's going to work out with mike bobo i mean he's never coached outside of the deep south ever um you know his entire career was at georgia except for one year like jacksonville so um now i know he had a reputation of being a really good recruiter in the sec but we'll see he's not in the sec now so yeah. we'll see how that goes now in the mountain time zone let's see what he does there um we got a couple more I, i'm we're going live i want to i want to let you go i know you got stuff to do down there um, username already taken too. Interesting name. Um, where does where do you see Sark's ceiling? And has Sark done anything that impressed you, or that you felt like maybe was a shrewd move? Uh, you know, Sark's ceiling should be at least. I, I don't want to say his ceiling's not the national title, but if you're at USC, you it's within. You know, now this. You know the. the most of the heavy lifting is done. Lane Lane did the heavy lifting in terms of dealing with the heaviest scholarship sections. Now, just because the NCA clock is ticked over doesn't mean you're back to 100% because you still have 
so much attrition and and pieces that need to need to be fit and everything like that and you're still young in a lot of places but i would say if if they are not in the playoff by 2000 by not not just 2015 but if they're not in the playoff by 2016 i'd be really really concerned if i was a usc coach i mean i'd not to say he, he should be fired if they miss the playoff but 2015 is a year where he should win I think he has. He has, if I would be, you know, if he can't win the Pac-12 in 2015, I think mean, that would be a that would be a would not be a good sign for him because Mariota's gone, Hunley's gone. Uh, you know, you look at Taylor Kelly. I know that Berkovich's got a lot of ability, but Taylor Kelly at at ASU's gone. So all of a sudden you're looking at it and going, well, what do we got here? I mean, we're USC. We got the experienced quarterback. We got you know we got a line that comes that everybody comes back. You know, yeah, Arizona came out of that. Arizona's really young. If you can't beat Arizona, you know, if Arizona goes back to back and uh, you know, as 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 young as they were, that's a bad sign. I I think Richard's a you know, a terrific coach. But you know, I guess as I'm talking my way through this, I'm like I don't want to say it's like it's like Pac twelve title or bust if Star can't win it next year, but I think next year's gonna be a big year for him. I mean, they shouldn't I don't think they should fire him, you know, if he doesn't win it, but I think people are going to look at it and go, man, you know, this is a great opportunity. I mean, I feel like Oregon's just going to reload after, after you know, a year after Mariota. Yeah. All right. And then uh, one last thing for you, Bruce. A lot of questions. We had CM the third. We had David Hector Specter, all kind of writing in about uh, USC and how they were treated by the NCAA. These Todd McNair's emails that could be released and it could look bad for for the NCAA if they were kind of gaming the system behind the scenes and what you thought about, you know, what the, these sections were now that they're over. And, and yeah, if, I mean, if, I, I would, I, yeah. you know, not to jump in too much. If you're a USC fan, you know, most fans, I would say, of the school, you know, you're probably not thinking irrationally. Even USC haters, well, not all of them, but even USC, you know, like people who are like not USC fans in the media, they know USC got screwed. I mean, it was a really flawed system. Um, you know, there's a lot of finger pointing that, and and USC, USC's the, they tried to make an example of USC. They did not like Mike Garrett. I think they didn't like Pete Carroll. They really didn't like Mike Garrett. I don't think Mike Garrett did them any favors, and they just blasted USC. And um, you know, if I was a USC fan, I'd I'd be pissed off too. I mean, so they have reason to be pissed off because I thought it was a, you know, I don't, you know, time has only shown. You know, whether it's Penn State or the Miami case or even the Oregon case, this was this was just really, you know, dubious behavior. And we've seen, you know, from examples like how Miami situation was handled, the NCAA screwed that up too. And, um, you know, I think what, what we learned from the Penn State case with Sandusky is like that kind of redefined what a scandal is, a real scandal is in college sports. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I, one thing that, and I'll just to spin it forward a little bit. So the other day they had here the announcements for who the College Football Hall of Fame was going to be. And two of the names that got inducted were, were Brian Bosworth, you know, who was right. you know, critical of the NCAA and had, you know, PED issues. And Jim Tressel, who, by the way, still has like two years left on a show cause. Wow. And, you know, myself and a couple other people pressed, um, pressed, 
press the, uh, the, the Steve Hatchell, who's the basically the president of the college football Hall of fame. I'm like, Hey, you know, I don't get this. This is a guy who lied to the NCA and our, you know, how do you kind of justify this? And he was like, well, you got to understand this is him, uh, getting put in because of his Youngstown state stuff and not for Ohio state. So they're making the separation. And at one point he said, well, he didn't do anything at Youngstown state. And, and Dennis Dodd, well, you know, this guy had said it like three times. It's me, Dennis Dodd and one other reporter. And at one point it looked like somebody hit, hit Dodd over the head with like, uh, you know, like a, a iron because he was like, Whoa, wait a minute. It's not like he didn't get accused of a lot of stuff at Youngstown state too. <laughs> and if you look back at this other case, and they were oblivious to a lot of stuff, they being the Hall of Fame committee. And so I said, well, okay, well, does this mean that Reggie Bush can go in? Because if you're going to say, well, this guy had a great body of work, but he did make some mistakes, that means Reggie Bush going in. And the one area where there would be wiggle room to keep him out, because now it's like the kinder general, hey, whatever happened, happened thing is, the schools need to, need to, uh, need to put forward you know, they submit names for their candidates. If USC is disassociated from Reggie Bush, I don't know if USC, if if uh, if, the, if USC or you know could really make a case to get Reggie Bush into the Hall of Fame, you know, college football Hall of Fame. But oh, you're gonna fire everyone so, up for that now, Bruce, because now they're gonna be their pitchforks going to USC saying, put Reggie Bush's name on there. If Jim Trestle can get in, you should be able to. Well, say Reggie you know, Bush. One of the things that, they, that Stephen Hatchell did say is he goes, who knows? Well, maybe there could be a, a different AD down the road. Now, that doesn't mean he knows some of Pat Hayden's going to leave in 2018 or some, something like that. But I think the thinking being, you know, maybe the next next uh, USC administration or down the road, that would change. Now, you, Reggie Bush is still playing, and so there's no, like, hey, get Reggie Bush on the Hall of Fame stuff or whatever. Right. You know, I'm sure Liner will go in, um, you know, but uh, before then, because Matt stopped playing, but this will, you know, this is something to keep an eye on. It's just like how it's viewed. I think, you know, I, I, as Ralph Russo, who's a writer for the AP, pointed out, it's been Eric Dickerson. It's been like 35 years, and he's still not in the College Football Hall of Fame. So, Jeez. the weird, the weird situation. And then, David, the one thing that I wanted to touch on with the sanctions too, that David had the second part of his questions. It doesn't seem like a lot of schools could kind of survive or thrive under sanctions like that with recruiting and everything. I mean, do you, how many schools do you think could have, you know, won 10 games during those kind of harsh sanctions like USC did? Maybe five. I mean, look, the schools I think could do it, like Miami can't even win 10 games now, you know, <laughs> without it. So, I mean, I, I don't – very few. I mean, Alabama had sanctions, I don't know, maybe three. So – I mean, I know USC did it. There aren't many. And USC did it because it had top-level talent, and you're dealing with whatever, 40 guys. I mean, the the fact that USC beat that Stanford team two years ago with, like, 11 players in the rotation on defense and, like, one other guy was pretty remarkable. It's like it's like a great footnote into into that. And I think of, you know, like, I know what Ogeron told me about some of those players. Like, if I, you know, if I was a USC fan, I would be – I would be a huge fan of like Dion Bailey because I know, you know, whether it's him, I don't remember if it was like him basically getting shot up to come back in a game that they never thought he was going to play or some of, you know, there were guys like that who, when U.S. when uh, when when Penn State the sanctions, I remember uh, Bill O'Brien put the names of the jerseys the ones who stayed so the fans could honor them. And some of those USC players, like like I was saying, like I would put Dion Bailey in that group. You know, Matt Barkley didn't win a Heisman or whatever, but I thought Matt Barkley 
handled himself incredibly well in the way, you know, he, uh, you know, he became the face of the program when, when, you know, it was him and Lane Kiffin. I thought he did a really, really good job. Like the day of the sanctions, this is a freshman who was doing it. I mean, guys like that should have more of a legacy. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't, they don't give you trophies for going 10 and four or 10 and three or whatever it was, but you know, they, they, they kept them from falling off the board. So and I think there's something, you know, there's something to be said for that. Bruce. All right. Oh my God. We went uh, almost 50 minutes. I'm really sorry. We, t- we kept okay. you this long. I, I got to go. Cause I got Tim Brando giving me dirty looks. Oh, sorry about that. Okay. Thanks Bruce. And uh, Bruce Feldman. Right. College football. Thanks very much Bruce, for coming on. Thanks Ryan. Talk to you soon. All right. We'll be back in a minute. We're going to talk with uh, uscfootball.com beat writer, Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, Some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to CircleMarketing.com and see if they're right for you. CircleMarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. we got uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining the show. We wanted to talk about the, the team. we got a bunch of questions about USC and wanted to pick his brain on the national championship game, uh, too. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks for coming on. Oh, Glad to be on, and uh, glad there's a championship game tonight. It, it gives us a, a nice, uh, long football weekend. It that certainly does with the, the NFL playoffs. And uh, Bruce, we have Bruce off for quite a bit, and uh, he's down there in Dallas and had some really interesting, interesting things to say about uh, USC when people were asking him about, you know, picking USC to, you know, where would you say next year? And he's like, you know, Oregon loses a lot. Um, you know, he he thought USC and Arizona would be the two teams to kind of represent the the South. Um, he, he he thinks it's going to be tough to replace Mariota. They don't really have anyone kind of lined up like waiting in the wings. But uh, it was some interesting stuff he said about USC and the future uh, future for this Trojan football team. Yeah, I think USC well positioned to be kind of like the smart guy pick. You know, the pick that okay, this is the team that probably uh, did better than. Certainly, uh, you know, people expected during the the sanctions and what they were attempting to do. And, uh, yeah, they've got talent. Okay, yeah, they're young. They, you know, I think there will be a lot of those, uh, you know, nobody knows for sure how good somebody's going to be next year. But I think USC will be one of those teams that people say, you know, keep your eye on, uh, on these guys. The uh, championship game with Oregon, you know, Mariota's still around for one more game. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting one to watch. And Bruce wasn't sure it could go back and forth. He, you know, he didn't. He's picking Oregon, but what, did you have a pick or who do you like in this one? 
Well, you know, the more guys the Oregon loses, I don't know. I, I, they're amazing. I think uh, I think they they play you in a way that's difficult. I don't. I, I would think you Oregon. I know the Ohio State people think, oh, we're going back to that Rose Bowl when they beat the same year that USC beat uh, Ohio State in Columbus. They came out and won the Rose Bowl against an Oregon team that clobbered USC. Uh, but uh, I think that was a team that. Chip Kelly kind of thought they were better than Ohio State, played it way too close to his vest, and it didn't look like the real Oregon team. Uh, whereas this, I think this team will play the way Oregon plays, and I just think it's hard to get ready to play them if they really play the way way they can. And, you know, if losing uh, all those receivers, I guess three of their top five basically, two wide outs and uh, tight end won't be there. So I don't know, you know, when does that catch up with them? I don't know. But, uh, but the thing I like, I think what is really interesting to me is the kind of historical aspect of it, that these two teams in, in the NCAA sport that everybody knows, you know, that, that has made the NCAA uh, basketball in 1939, First Final Four, first NCAA basketball championship, it was Oregon against Ohio State. Uh-huh. And, uh, and Oregon won. I mean, they, whatever they called this team, the Tall Timbers or whatever. And uh, so uh, these teams have a history in some ways. But, uh, but I, you know, what goes around does you know, come around, uh, you know, some of the time. But... Uh, you know, I think if Oregon can play like Oregon, they've they've got a pretty good chance. I think Ohio State, gosh, what they've done in the last few weeks is such a testament to Urban Meyer. You know, a team that lost to Virginia Tech at home earlier in the year and then lost both you know both quarterbacks. That's amazing, uh, and they've got some talent. They've got some running. You know, they can they can run the ball. They've got you know athletic. Defensive linemen, for example, um, they've got speed. Uh, I, I mean, I I think we can get thrown off a little bit by the win over Alabama. To be honest, Alabama wasn't a great football team, and we now I think pretty much know the SEC wasn't absolutely a great uh, you know a great league this year. So I think that that might throw you off a little bit, but uh, you can't give Ohio State you know enough credit and Urban Meyer. What a great coach, and, and Mark Elfridge, what a what a fabulous job he's done. So I, I just think it's going to be one of those games, just sit back and watch and enjoy it and, and see what happens. Yeah, no, I agree. That's what I'm going to do. So everyone, hopefully you guys enjoy the game tonight and wanted to get into, got a lot of USC questions still. Uh, coach Harvey Hyde's on uh, secret assignment this week, so we'll, get, we'll have uh, Dan and I kind of go through all these for you. Um, what is the status of the offensive line coaching search and – why do we let John Baxter go? Love the show, Marcel. Uh, you know, I think we'd heard that they were there were some you know NFL people of interest, and uh, you know one of them at least uh, playing you know through the weekend. Uh, that also with the uh, what do they call it? The AFCA, the College Football Coaches Association, meeting this week. Uh, that they were going to kind of wait uh, through this week. That, that's the easiest time, I think, to to do a series of interviews and what have you. 
Yeah, that's down uh, in Dallas for where the championship game is. That's right. It is, yeah. it, it, uh, often it, it was in Las Vegas, but uh, it makes sense to have it in Dallas. And, and it just seems to make sense to, to probably, you know, wrap that up this week. I don't know that they feel like a great deal of uh, necessity. Uh, there's not a lot of recruiting that's, ha- you know, hanging on it. Right. With the uh, early guys in already, uh, the, you know, the bulk of the offensive line are here. And uh, you know the you know in school already, and you know a lot of a lot of will be just sophomores uh, next year. But uh, so I, you know I give them this week and 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 see where that goes. I'm you know would like to see a, a college guy with a young line. I just think there's a better fit uh, with a guy who just sees himself as a college coach. I just think there's a there's a different approach, and we've seen that. Uh, with the different coaches that USC's had over the years, you've seen the, there's kind of a, a different mindset from the, uh, the college guys to the pro guys. It just seems like, uh, with a, especially with USC's young offensive line, you'd like to see somebody, uh, you know, who's really essentially uh, a college coach in the NFL, and you're going to get people that go back and forth. But uh, I'd like to see it go that way. And as far as uh, – um, John like Baxter. That? And John Baxter – I think they just felt like they didn't have the ability to have a dedicated uh, special teams coach if they were going to, if you're going to have uh, a tight ends coach. Marcus Tuiasa uh, comes in and coaches the tight end. I think that's always going to be the, the position you're either going to have one or the other. Now, John Baxter ended up coaching both at the, at the very end. But I do think that's the. Uh, with the numbers that you're allowed with the NCAA, uh, you know, rules, uh, you pretty much have to make a choice. And I think with, uh, with Marcus coming in, who, you know, does a heck of a job, I think everybody couldn't be more pleased uh, with him, you know, in terms of the way he gets along with the players, the way uh, his personality, the way he recruits, uh, just in general, I think he's done a really good job, but then, you know, you have to incorporate special teams into one of the other coaches, and, and Coach Nansen had that background, uh, you know, at Washington. I mean, they hadn't hadn't had, a you know, a great record at Washington. Uh, and, it, you know, it might be something they look at. I, I always like the model that we saw at Utah this year where Kyle Whittingham took on the uh, special teams responsibility as a head coach, and they – they had some of the best special teams in the country. Now it helped. They had some great, uh, you know, an absolutely, you know, great punter and a great kicker. Uh, but maybe that's why he took that, that job. But, uh, but that was, you know, that would be, uh, maybe I'd say to Sark, uh, that might be something he might want to take on. He could let, uh, Clay Helton call the plays and Sark could, uh, be the special teams guy. That would, uh, that would be very popular, I think, with USC fans, <laughs> as you know. Um, we do get a lot of questions about that a lot of times. Um, Tarek had a question for you, Dan. Does the personnel USC has make a better fit for a 4-3 defense rather than a, a 3-4? I mean, I think it's something to look at. I mean, they, you know, there were times that that seemed to be what they were what they were in, and, and they do have the ability to they got to go that direction. Uh, I think they really do have to take a look at was what they were doing defensively the best way to go. Uh, 
I'm not sure if you looked at the personnel last year, did any of them have as good a year defensively as the year before? Uh, you know, Hayes Pillard. I mean, he was a for a couple of years. He was really a force. I thought last year he kind of was neutralized. I thought Leonard Williams probably didn't have as good a year. Didn't make as many plays. Let's say didn't. You know, the it just looked like the defense they were in much of the time didn't make for guys making plays. I mean, I thought that that was one of the outstanding things that, that Pete Carroll's defense did over the years was they set up uh, defensive players to make plays. And uh, you didn't get the sense last year that guys were in position uh, or that the philosophy of the defense was to make it possible for guys to make plays. And uh, so – you know, whatever they go to, they they gotta go. I think much more to something that allows guys to make plays, that puts them in position, that gets them moving. That uh, you know, you saw some of the guys, some of the secondary guys uh, had the ability to to make a play here or there, but you just didn't get that sense that uh, that they were creating playmaking opportunities for guys on defense, and and that was the you know was more of a hold on and uh, not so much even bend don't break. It just was more, you know, stay, stay in your spot and uh, hopefully don't, don't get embarrassed or don't get beat. And uh, that, I just don't, I don't see that that works for USC. I think, you know, so whatever they look at, I think they, they got to look at it. You know, how do we free guys to make plays? Um, Frank and Orlando had a question, two questions for you. First one, is Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick able to play next year, and was he eligible to use a redshirt even though he was academically ineligible for 2014? Was he eligible to redshirt? Yeah, yes, he was definitely eligible to redshirt. Uh, uh, and we have not heard, and I they have to have the grades by now. We have to have to find out. Uh, well, they you know class starts uh, today, so uh, that's a good question. It's something uh, something to check on. He. He kind of disappeared from the scene toward the end of the uh, the end of the season. We asked about it a couple of times. Uh, for some reason, we were the only ones asking about it. <laughs> but uh, uh, he always got the same answer that he was concentrating concentrating on his uh, on his studies, and that's why he wasn't coming to practice. That's why we weren't seeing him because he he was practicing really well. I mean, he. You know, I mean, he was a he's a, a real big time player, and on the scout team, he he, uh, he looked good. I mean, you really wished he were able, you know, were able to play. But uh, he uh, moves things up if he is able to play, and we'd heard that he was very close. That he, you know, that there was one grade that they appealed that had it you know, changed by just the smallest amount, he would have been eligible uh, this fall. So, uh, but a very good question, and one we don't have the answer for yet. And then his second question was, uh, we're not going to be at 85 players for the 2015 class. Are there any walk-ons that you would think worthy of receiving a scholarship? Well, I think uh, James Tolan will will probably almost certainly uh, you know get a scholarship. I think Chris Wilson, the tight end, who uh, 
hopefully hears, uh, you know, in January on his, uh, you know, request for a, a six-year medical, you know, waiver, uh, you would think those two absolutely, you know, for sure, uh, for starters, uh, will get, uh, will get, you know, added onto the scholarship list. Uh, and then, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think, I would guess they'll always save one just in case, uh, but then uh, I'm not sure how many they're going to have to play around with. Uh, you know, once you uh, once you add those uh, those two, uh, I start right there and and then see if they've got one or two more. I mean, you can't do anything better than to reward the walk-ons who've been such an important part of this program here uh, the last uh, few years. I mean, so I'd give every one of them away that. That they've got, but I, I, I certainly think those two, uh, you know, will. Uh, both of them have, have been here two years. Neither one would count as an initial uh, initial grant, which I think really, uh, you know, makes the case for why. I, I don't know that they would give any to somebody who's only been here a year, or uh, or a blue shirt, for example, somebody that you, you could say after, uh, you know. The first practice, you can say, "Wow, that kid deserves a scholarship." Uh, then you have to count them uh, as a, uh, a scholarship, uh, an initial grant, one year or the other year. Whereas, if kids have been here two years, they don't count as initial uh, as an initial grant. So, uh, I think they'll go that way. But at least I would think Poland and uh, Chris, Chris Wilson. All right, good stuff there. Um, the, this past week, uh, you know. Buck Allen announced that he was going to uh, forego his senior season and enter the NFL draft. And this is a question kind of related to that. Uh, I said, this is Tony from Norwalk. This is my third time writing in. I really enjoy the show, especially during the offseason. Thanks, Tony. I wanted to make an observation. Not sure if I noticed this because I follow the team closely, but USC can't seem to keep star players for more than three years. Is this something that happens across the country in every program? I totally understand that guys like Leonard need to go. He has nothing left to prove. But but then there's guys like Mark Sanchez, last year's juniors that didn't get drafted, Aguilar, and whoever else, and, you know, Buck Allen, whoever else decides to come out early. This seems to be happening often at SC. Then there was a kid that committed over the weekend that said he would be taking his talents for the next three years to USC. Makes me wonder if SC is becoming that school that kids are used to uh, you're using just to jump to the NFL after three years. No aspirations for Pac-12 or national championships. What's your take on this? Yeah, I think that's a, a little bit, a bit of the case, and I think it's always been the case uh, that uh, I mean, when you rec- you're recruiting at USC, a big part of the recruiting and, and the part that's held up is the fact that uh, USC's produced more NFL draft picks has more guys in the league now, has more number one NFL draft picks, uh, number one overall. I'm not sure about the uh, most first round. Might still have the most first round. I think it does. And has more NFL Hall of Famers. Now, that's a whole big list of NFL reasons why a kid should come to USC. So I don't know that we should be really all that surprised if – you know, the kinds of players USC is recruiting or thinking about the NFL. Uh, so 
I mean, I just think it goes with the territory. If you're going to get an Adoree Jackson and a Juju Smith, uh, you'd be surprised if they weren't thinking about being good enough to go to the NFL after three years. Uh, and every case is different. I think if Leonard could start his NFL clock now and, you know, do all the things that, that it takes to be in the NFL and be in college for another year, he would. I think same with Buck. Uh, I think Nelson really wanted the challenge. He, he just wants to prove that uh, I belong there. I can, you know, be as good there as I was at USC. And, and so I think, you know, different reasons for different kids. But uh, but I don't – it's not like one and done in college basketball uh, at all. I think, you know, you get three years uh, from – kids at this level who contributed as much as these guys have contributed to USC, uh, you've gotten a, a great deal, you know, out of those kids. Now, does it say, though, that if you get a, a Kill run going again, that kids won't also add that into their, you know, their thinking? It would be hard, you know, the last few years to be thinking, you know, I mean, USC hasn't made it to the Pac-12 championship game yet. So I'm not sure that that is a big focus on these kids. You know, that's not the biggest thing they're thinking about right now. Now, it's up to USC to get that back into the picture as well, I think, and, and to, you know, make them think like if you go to Oregon, you're thinking that thought. Uh, right now, I'm not sure that, you know, there's anybody else in the Pac-12, Stanford maybe until this year, uh, who's thinking that, you know, thinking the way USC was thinking, you know, kids were thinking, uh, you know, 10 years ago. So, uh, but I do think, uh, you know, I think USC, it's up to USC to create that atmosphere of, you know, we're going, uh, if you don't get it in three years, you get it in four years or whatever. So, but USC does get kids, you I know, mean, used to be the standard was kids were thinking five years in college. You know, a red shirt, and I'll go through. You know, now they're thinking three. Well, you got to be a pretty good player coming out of high school to be thinking three years and off to the NFL. And if that's the kind of player you're recruiting, which USC pretty much has to be, you know, in that ballpark, then uh, that's what you're going to deal with. Kids thinking, you know, I'm going to be the one that's good enough to go after three years, and and you don't want to discourage that. Yeah, I think it's a little different than one and done. I mean. Three years of Leonard Williams is pretty good. If that's what you know, if I don't think you're losing a lot if you get a whole bunch of people that are leaving early. Now, people that shouldn't leave early, yeah, I think last year, I think it discouraged more people um, from from doing that. Guys that were kind of on the cusp. I think Buck Allen and and Nelson Aguilar are going to be NFL guys. I don't think they're going to be first or second round draft picks, um, but they're still you know good enough. To, I think to play in the NFL. So I. I don't think you're losing a lot from from that. It's 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 different if it was Kentucky basketball and every guy you get in there's gone after one year, but at least you're getting them for three. I mean, it's not you're getting seventy five percent of what a normal career would be. Yeah, and they really committed to us. I mean, nobody committed more than these kids who came here during this time. Uh, I mean, what they you know the value of those uh, you know three kids from Florida. Uh, to this program, I mean, I don't know that you can overstate it. I mean, they, so uh, all you can do is wish them well and, and, and thank them and, you know, root for them the rest of their careers because um, they've been, you know, wonderful, wonderful uh, Trojans. Just 
good as you could possibly get. All right, uh, let's go on. Alan and Tarzana said, listen, I have a very basic question for Dan that I've never quite been able to get my head around. This is to say that the majority of commentators constantly harp on our lack of depth, uh, leaving the defense gas by the time the fourth quarter arrives, as though this uh, partially explains our embarrassing lapses of execution. Okay, that that's of course possible, but if it is, why isn't the offense equally gassed? Unless I'm missing something, playing defense is no more taxing than playing offense. So unless that premise is flawed in some way, then what's the difference if one unit is on the field more than the other, and why would one side of the ball be favored when it comes to energy expenditures? Thanks uh, for any insights and fight on, Alan and Tarzana. I think it's just it's an easy explanation, Alan, more than anything. I mean, I think you know there was a whole lot more going on than – getting gas for the for USC uh, in the fourth quarter. And uh, I think it was one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. You know, the more they thought about it, the more they adjusted what they were doing offensively, uh, you know, the more they ended up with the defense on the field. And the more they, you know, didn't make the kind of stops uh, on defense, the longer the defense had to stay on the field. Yeah, I'm not a big believer – and if you talk to the kids on defense, they did not believe they were gassed. Two years ago, yes. I think they thought, I mean, you know, and, and still they survived the Sanford game, uh, you know, here, that they, the big upset, you know, with 13 players on defense. Uh, but uh, last year, you didn't get the sense they had more ability to rotate. Uh, they took more chances with, with young guys in terms of, putting them on the field. Now, once they were on the field, they didn't maybe take a lot of chances, and, and you saw you know, they gave up some long drives at the end of games, and they couldn't get first downs when they needed them at the end of games. Uh, so a lot of that was kind of coaching, I think, coaching choices and, and just decisions of how they decided to go. But uh, you don't get ever – that they, they they said, oh, gosh, I think we got kind of tired out or, or whatever. You, you've never heard that. And they absolutely, when you said it to them, they said absolutely not. Again, that wasn't the answer we were getting the year before. They did get tired. They did get gassed. So uh, whether – I mean, there are people who think defense can be more tiring, that offense, for some reason, the way you know what you're doing, you – have control of what you're doing, whereas in defense, it's strictly uh, energy expenditure. I mean, you're you're being you know pushed to go wherever the uh, the offense wants you to go, and, and I probably would agree that uh, offense you probably don't quite use up um, you know as much as your 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 physicality as you do on defense. Uh, but uh, but I I tend to agree it wasn't uh, that wasn't. That wasn't the reason for the way fourth quarters went this past year. All right. Thanks for that one. Let's go. AJ, he says, I remember when Norm Chow was the offensive coordinator. In every game, the commentators would talk about his plays, how well-designed they were, how unique, how clever they were. In the Oregon Bowl game, several of the plays were discussed uh, as to how cleverly they were designed to open up lanes for the quarterback to throw or blocking schemes. That's never happened in a Sark game. Did he learn nothing from Chow when he worked with him? Is he unable to understand the quality of the players he has and what they can do? 
or does he just not have enough understanding of the game to be creative? Ouch, a little harsh there. That's from AJ. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they ran as much offense. I think they were, and I do think with Norm, they built on one thing for another thing for another thing. They come back and they build off of it. And uh, I think you saw more of that. I think uh, I think it's a different way of doing things now. Uh, whether you know there there is a lot of there are a lot of offense, and uh, whether you have the ability to set something up with one thing that you you know you you make it look this way or this way and this way, and then you come back and it looks like that, but it's really not. Uh, yeah, and there were days, I, I tell people this, and, and, and I still remember there were practices where the ball didn't hit the ground. I mean, and with, when that, you know, when they really got into the streak, uh, they would have days where where they'd almost be perfect in practice. I mean, where, you know, Leinert would never throw a pass that wasn't caught. Uh, I mean, it is a little bit of a different, you know, emphasis. Uh, and better, I think better now than with, you know, with late at times, they ran plays just to run plays. And in practice, they, you know, there wasn't an emphasis on perfection. Uh, I think we saw, you know, more of an emphasis on, on the up-tempo stuff in practice, uh, uh, you know, preseason and, and, you know, in spring. And then, um, I mean, I thought that, you know, the the difficulty was trying to decide, uh, you know, in game planning and, and practicing during the week exactly what, what they wanted to do and refine it to the point where they felt really, really, you know, that we're going to be able to do this perfectly and that everything is just going to, you know, and I, I think you saw it in the Holiday Bowl where they came out on offense and, and really kind of stumbled a little bit. Uh, it looked a little grab, I call it grab baggy, where they were just kind of, you know, going in and pulling out one play and then pulling out another play. Whereas uh, I think, you know, with Norm, you might have seen a little more focus. Uh, and, and, and I know they didn't always agree. I know Norm and Pete didn't always agree on how the offense should be run. And there was kind of a battle between how much of the, you know, how much did they have to be able to run the ball? And how did they incorporate that, and, and what have you? So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as perfect as we tend to look back, you know, with with the Norm uh, Chow era. But uh, but I do think, you know, that's a big big part going forward is really uh, getting the focus uh, of the offense uh, exactly right in terms of uh, the personnel USC has, how they can block it. You know how they can run it, how they can incorporate those with the pass game, and uh, and how much they if teams really work to take away one part of the game, you know, say the way Boston College did, you know, to take away the run this year, can you go all out, you know, the other direction and just adjust and just uh, you know do that? I thought, uh, you know, for example, what USC did when. Uh, when Sark and Lane were the, you know, co-offensive coordinators in the in the Michigan Rose Bowl game, uh, the second one, and with John David Booty, and where they had very little luck running the ball the first half, and decided we'll come out and throw the ball basically every single time the second half, and they just blew, 
blew the doors off Michigan. Uh, you know, we haven't seen that quite as much. Uh, they, they seem to stick to the, you know, kind of a, a formula that, uh, you know, is in, in their minds. And uh, that might be something you'd like to see a little, little bit more, that, you know, ability to go in at halftime and come back out and say, this is, you know, we absolutely know what we can do, what we have to do, we're going to do it, and, and just go ahead and do it. You didn't see that as much. Um, all right, we got a couple more, and then we'll let you go, Dan. Uh, Kevin in Valley Glen was uh, writing about Ed Orgeron, and we actually asked uh, Bruce Feldman about it. He said he didn't think um, Orgeron would return to USC. He said at this point it looks like LSU or bust, just FYI from what um, Bruce said this year. He said he does want to get back into coaching. But here's Kevin's comments and questions. He said, don't get me wrong, I love Coach O and what he did for Trojan Nation, especially after the debacle firing of Lane Kiffin, he called him Lame Kiffin, but uh, Lane Kiffin, uh, when is everyone going to realize he's not coming back and just let it go? If I was Coach Sark, the last person I'm hiring is Coach O because it would be a huge distraction, and as Coach O, the last thing I would want after all that USC's been through the past five years with the NCAA, the firing, Josh Shaw, and all that are more distractions. I would rather the focus be on the team and the players and be – if I'm Coach Sark, the last thing I want to be is looking over my shoulder and worrying if I lose a tough game or two next year and having the fans or even Pat Hayden start to wonder what would happen if Coach O was given another shot. Like I said, I love Coach O, but he is gone, and we as a Trojan faithful need to come to terms with that and let him go. Kevin from Valley Glen. See, Kevin, I don't know. If you've got a guy who arguably is the best recruiter in the nation – and arguably as good a line, defensive line coach as there is in the nation, and he loves USC, I don't know. I think he'd be kind of attractive to get him to coach at USC. Just a thought, especially if he wants to come to USC. Now, what you would like is a head coach who is comfortable and confident that that's a good thing and not looking over his shoulder. There's one way to avoid that. Don't lose those games, you know. Uh, I just think with, uh, with Coach uh, you know, O and T. Martin, you have a recruiting you know, double hit there that nobody in the country can match. And obviously when you see how USC was able to recruit during the sanctions and you just see that there are so many advantages in in so many ways that having somebody like, you know, Coach O back, if, you know, if, you know, you need that particular, you know, coach, say, let's say there's an opening there and it's clear his love for USC, I would, I would think, uh, you know, what would Pete Carroll do? Let's say if Pete Carroll were coaching at USC, would he bring in Coach O? Yeah, he would. Uh, a lot of people would, I think, the match for USC, you know, Coach O. So I don't think it's ridiculous to be thinking those thoughts, especially when Coach O has made it pretty clear he wouldn't, you know, mind coming back. Has he had second thoughts about, you know, the way that all went down? Yeah. Do we know the entire story uh, about exactly, you know, what went down? And, and I know that people tend to be judgmental about it. I just don't think they could possibly know enough to be uh, 
as judgmental as some people are. Uh, should you know USC you know be pining over it and saying, oh, if only, if only, no. But if the opportunity came along, and uh, you know the the possibility were there, uh, should USC go ahead and, and do it? I think I think they should, but that's just me. Uh, I think Sark ought to feel like uh, bringing in Coach O makes Sark, uh, a, uh, you know, a stronger, more confident, more established head coach than uh, than not. Uh, but that's just my take. I mean, I don't want a coach who's looking over his shoulder, um, and and you you don't want a coach who's having to think that way. Uh, so, I mean, to me, it would look like uh, that Sark. It was really able to, you know, head a, uh, a a strong the kind of staff that you want to see coaching at USC. So, so I yeah I wouldn't be I wouldn't dismiss it, but I wouldn't you know sit around worrying about it either. And I do think the um, possibility of him being at LSU next year is is a lot stronger probably than than him being at USC. But uh, who knows? Maybe we'll see. Yeah, well, definitely will. Um, one last one for you, Dan. This was uh, we had a little Twitter. My wife and I were kind of arguing on Twitter a bit. We do that sometimes about the. Mm-hmm. She's a Tennessee grad, the SEC and the Pac-12, and um, yeah, I mean, Bruce talked about it. I think one of the interesting things was, you know, who's a quarterback in the SEC? Like, I mean, that got a lot of athletes and stuff, but you need quarterbacks. They didn't really have any um, this year. But this is the uh, the question. Um, it says, I think the SEC will rise again. Right now, it holds nine of the top 20 recruiting slots. It averaged more than seven of those slots for the last five years. Florida is the national extreme outlier in its per capita production of D1 players. All the southern states have higher ratios. I think that Ohio State, USC, and certain programs can match up, but a lot of the Pac-12 cannot match up over time, except at quarterback, where something very odd seems to be occurring in California and the West, and those kids will tend to stay in the West. I can't prove it with statistics, but I get the impression that the SEC, is, as a league, is behind on offensive innovation right now. That won't continue. College football is just a bigger deal in the South. So, Ryan, I think Jana is on to something. <laughs> well, you know, having uh, been a, you know, an SEC guy and, and seen how the league goes, you didn't see the innovation. I mean, I, I was always perplexed how – and I'd been a high school football coach, and then I covered Kentucky – and there were years Kentucky had players. They never acted as if they could win. Uh, they played the way everybody else played in the SEC, which didn't make any sense. They should have been throwing the ball, you know, years ago and just saying we're going to recruit like a Pac-12 team. Uh, I think it's, it's oversimplifying to say that the Pac-12 has the quarterback edge. I mean, that's obvious, uh, you know, if you look at the NFL and, uh, you know, you've got, uh, I'm trying to think this weekend, uh, you'll have, you know, Aaron Rodgers and, and Andrew Luck and then Tom Brady, who, you know, grew up in the Bay Area and then for some idiotic reason went to Michigan, uh, <laughs> where he almost got, you know, screwed over. I still remember, I think it was the second game played in Notre Dame Stadium that I happened to cover, Michigan against Notre Dame. And uh, Notre Dame, or Michigan, love this kid that was the, the baseball bonus baby, I don't know, it was Drew Henson or something, yeah, a name Drew like Henson, that. Yeah. And he's starting, 
and then, you know, struggling and starting and start, And then they bring in this guy, you know, who nobody would ever heard of, Tom Brady. And I thought, holy gosh, this guy's like 100 times better. You know, he, he didn't get all that, you know, you know, get a shot at, at Michigan. And, and you just thought some programs, you know, why he left the West Coast, I don't know. And, uh, maybe, you know, USC missed on him too. But uh, you just think that uh, they really get it about quarterbacks. But they also, in, in high school, and the offenses are so much more sophisticated. But I think it's an oversimplification to say it's just quarterbacks because you also see more wide receivers. And if you're playing in the Pac-12, you better have defensive backs who can play the pass. So that gives you three of the skill positions uh, you know, in the Pac-12. So that's a lot of – it's not just the quarterbacks in the SEC where they have to really step up their game. I thought somebody made an interesting point. One of the real difficulties that uh, Alabama had playing Ohio State, Ohio State just ran a lot of deep routes. And the Alabama kids, all of a sudden everybody says, wow, those defensive backs are having trouble playing the ball in the air. They're having trouble locating the football. Gee, many, what's going on? Well, they play in the SEC. They don't get to see it that much. I mean, I always thought that was one of the big, once they came out here, and you'd see the Rose Bowl and you'd think, wow, these four Big Ten kids, they don't see what they're seeing in the Rose Bowl during the season. And even if they are good, good talent, or where they were good coming out of high school, uh, if you don't get to see it game after game after game, you really don't, you know, you don't really have the ability to be prepared for it. And in the Pac-12, you do see it a lot. And uh, I always thought it was so amazing to me. I think uh, after, like, the first year I was covering USC, I realized if you looked at the Pac-12 and uh, Pac-10 then, uh, nine of the ten teams in the previous decade had won the, champ- had won the Pac-12 championship. And I thought, wow, you never saw that in the SEC. You know, those bottom, you know, half of the SEC – they never thought they could win a championship. There was never even any possibility because they couldn't do enough things well to beat you. They didn't have the receivers and the quarterbacks, and they wouldn't throw the ball anyway. And in the Pac-12, you better be ready. You had, had to be ready every week or somebody was going to beat you, as USC unfortunately proved in, uh, you know, with Pete, that uh, you know if they got to the championship, they probably were going to be in good shape. But there was a good chance that, you know, an Oregon State would come along uh, and, and they wouldn't get there. Uh, so, so I think it's more the quarterbacks, but I think that's uh, – and, and I'm not sure um, what they do – what that does is if, if, you know, a lot of it is speed and a lot of it is quarterbacks and a lot of it is offensive innovation, you take the, the places where the SEC has the advantage, the big, you know, defensive linemen, the big – big, strong linebackers and all that, you take them out of the game a little bit. They don't become as, as determinative, uh, you know, as to how the game goes. Now, if you get in a slugfest with them, uh, you know, you're, you can be in trouble. But teams, you know, aren't going that direction. And uh, if you notice what's happened with Alabama, they didn't have any luck at all playing against Johnny Manziel for a couple of years. You know, they obviously didn't have any luck, uh, you know, uh, I mean, if you want to say, is there an offensive innovator, Gus Malzahn at Auburn is a little bit, 
and Alabama hasn't had any luck shutting, you know, shutting that offense down. So, uh, but yet, you know, that's more of a run. You know, they're using a, a you know quarterback who is a defensive back who's a good athlete, but he's not exactly, you know, uh, you know, quarterback who throws the ball with a lot of, you know, an NFL type, uh, you know, ability. So, uh, so I think that, you know, the SEC does have some catch up, catching up to do. And, uh, and we'll see how, how quickly that happens. I mean, it's why Lane Kiffin is in the SEC. I don't think there's any question about it. And it's probably why, uh, Nick Saban has scheduled USC, uh, to open 2016. I think there might be more of that happening, uh, because of that, you know, there's a, you know, the SEC, I think, realizes they maybe have some catching up to do. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. And, uh, hope everyone enjoyed the show. Mixed up a little bit this week. And we'll try to get some more outside guests on, like Bruce and, and other people. So I know it's been, it's popular where we get someone like that to come on the show. So hope you guys enjoyed it. And thanks again, Dan, for uh, sharing all your insights. Oh, I enjoyed it. Thanks. And have fun tonight. Yeah. Enjoy the game, watching the game, and thanks everyone for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.